Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you with us this morning. As Pastor Tyler and then Sean mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're going to finish a little two-part series that I started entitled One in Heart and Mind. Can I get you to say that? One. Emphasis, hold, hold on. Emphasis on one. So we got to have a little pause there. Okay. So one in heart and mind. One in heart and mind. And that exact wording comes right from the scripture in Acts chapter 4. And I want to take a look at a few verses there in Acts chapter 4. But just before we do that, what I'd like to do is review the passage in Acts chapter 2 that we covered last Sunday. So here it is, Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. They, the members of the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone, you know what I got to ask, how many? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right, we talked about this passage last week. And I told you that the early church, they rallied around the mission of the church. I mean, they bought in to what was going on. And the scripture tells us every day people were getting saved. So it was a very exciting time. People couldn't wait to come to the house of the Lord and see what God would do that day. And these verses also tell us that they had everything in common, or they shared a common vision, and they were devoted, they were committed to the apostles' teaching. Now, keep in mind, the apostles were basically teaching what Jesus had taught them. So this wasn't the apostles' doctrine. It wasn't like they got together and decided we're going to, you know, teach them this philosophy or this opinion. They listened carefully to what Jesus had to say, and then they expressed that same teaching. They communicated that to the people. And the scripture says that the church became devoted to what they were doing, which meant they were devoted to the teaching of Jesus. That was the mission. It was to engage in the gospel message and to sell out to it. And friends, nothing's changed. Here we are today, and since day one of our church, 31 years ago, we've been preaching the same message, the same mission. Receive the gospel and become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so on the heels of these verses in Acts chapter 2 comes Acts chapter 4. And in Acts chapter 4, we get a clear picture of what made the early church tick. 
So we read some verses, expressed to us how unified they were, how they came together, they shared the vision. And then in in Acts chapter 4, we kind of get an idea of what what was the, the... the force behind it all. What, what caused them to be the way they were? So let's read these verses. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. So just in case you thought I came up with that. It's right here. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus... And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there, were no, there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. All right. Last Sunday, we focused in on unity. That was uh, the main thrust of the main theme of the message. It was all about unity. And I mentioned the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 during the last Passover meal that he shared with his disciples, the same night that he instituted communion, and just a few hours before he went to the cross, he brought his disciples together, and as a part of that John 17 prayer, Jesus prayed for unity. Now, his entire uh, earthly ministry for three and a half years, Jesus was subject to the ongoing strife and opposition of the religious leaders. They were always criticizing him, always looking over his shoulder, always telling him that he was wrong. And as a result of all of this division and disunity among the the rabbis, there was a whole lot of chaos and confusion among the people, and they really didn't know who to believe. There were so many messages coming at them all at once. And so Jesus, he emphasized the need for unity. And he expressed to them how important it is because unity really is what brings people to a place of wanting to know truth. Those who are seeking truth, they get encouraged when there's unity. Unity actually points people to God. That's what Jesus said. It brings an awareness of the love and acceptance that God has for us. So last week we covered the unity piece. This morning I want to talk to you about generosity. And according to what we just read, the scripture tells us the early church operated in the grace or in the spirit of generosity. Acts tells us that God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy people attending the church. Think about that for a minute. That is a miraculous statement. You know, sometimes we we read over things, and if you stop for just a moment, and I don't mean this in any kind of a negative way, but wherever you go, there seems to be some real needy people. The early church had a testimony that there were no needy people among them. And I can tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, 
that there were some poor people who started coming to the church. There were some needy people who, when they first came to the church, had a lot of problems and a lot of issues. By now, if you're following what's happened in the history of things, there are over 5,000 people coming to the church. Many of them are from Jerusalem. And the scripture tells us that there were a lot of poor people living in Jerusalem, extremely poor. In fact, right around this same time frame, there was a huge famine in that city. And you'll remember uh, through the book of Acts and the, and, the, and the epistles in the New Testament, they were always taking up some kind of collection or offering for the saints in Jerusalem because they didn't have much. And yet whenever there was a need, whenever resources were needed, the people of the church would figure out a way to come together and meet that need. And the scripture tells us there was this guy by the name of Joseph who the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. And I don't know how they got that nickname. I'm not to call him Joey. His name is Joseph. They called him Barney. But anyway, he had a, a piece of property that he sold and he brought the proceeds of the prophets to the apostles. Others, they say, uh, that were in the church, they sold lands, they sold homes and houses, and, and they donated uh, what they had gotten from their sales. They donated it to the church. So you have a lot of people giving a lot of money, but nowhere in the scripture can I find that the people who are selling these things and giving away stuff are wealthy people. doesn't say they're wealthy. But they are generous. And they're generous because a spirit of generosity was operating in the church, and that generosity came from God. Listen to me, please. Wealth does not produce generosity. I'm going to say that again because that was worth you coming to church today. Wealth does not create or manufacture generosity. Generosity comes from a willingness to trust and have faith in God. You know, over the years, I've heard from good Christian people who would say to me, Pastor, if I had more, I would give more. And if I could only hit it big, you know, if I won the lotto, if I made millions, you could count on me to underwrite a lot of your financial obligations. I mean, I've heard this over and over again. But the truth is, if you do not learn the value or the grace of generosity, more money, more wealth is not going to make the slightest bit of difference. Case in point is the poorest woman in the New Testament, the little widow woman who threw just a couple of insignificant coins into the offering box. Do you remember what Jesus said about her? Luke chapter 21 and verse 1. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Then he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And Jesus said, truly I tell you this, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is biblical God-ordained generosity. When you give it God's prompting, and you give even when you don't think you have anything to give, and when you would analyze it, 
and say it was negligible. Generosity is understanding that God, unlike us, looks upon the heart. He doesn't look at the size of the gift. He looks upon what we're doing and what our motivation is. Now, there's a passage of scripture in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy that I'd like to share with you. And over the years, I've learned that with many believers, whenever we turn to the Old Testament, uh, their thoughts are we can completely and totally disregard that portion of scripture. Like we can read it, we can review it, um, but we don't have to listen to it because it's in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is the Old Covenant, and Jesus did away with that, right? Well, partly right. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, but he never told us to scrap it or to discard the Old Testament. We now know that our righteousness with God doesn't come from fulfilling or obeying the law. We learned that. All those 613 laws that God gave to his people through Moses in the Old Testament. Our righteousness comes by having faith in Jesus Christ, not obeying the law. However, some of what God said in the Old Testament still rings true today. In fact, some of the Old Testament is quoted and repeated in the New Testament. And how many of you know that wisdom, regardless of how old it is, is still good wisdom? And there's a lot of wisdom in the Old Testament. Just read through the book of Proverbs. How many of you would say that patience is still a virtue? It's an Old Testament concept. Honesty is the best policy. You'll find that in the Old Testament. You know, Solomon said, don't hang around with knuckleheads. I mean, I mean he said, you know, preach to them, but don't. Do life with a foolish person. I mean, that's a good tip, just, just wisdom. So there's some value to be learned in the Old Testament, even though we know now that we, uh, through our faith in Christ, become right with God. All right, all of that so that we could read this passage and you would believe it. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning with verse 7. Let's read it carefully. If there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. Okay, whenever I read a passage like this and then I go back and reread it and I try to find key phrases and truth that might be applicable to my life today, whenever, whenever I do something like that, certain verses jump out at me. And when I read this passage, you know what jumps out at me? It's the fact that God didn't offer generosity as an option or a good idea. It wasn't a suggestion or a recommendation here. If you were listening, he commanded it. God commanded the children of Israel to be generous. And what's really funny is the way he starts this whole thing off. He says, when you come into the land that I'm giving you anyway, 
You're not paying for the land. This isn't something you're going to earn or work for. I'm going to give you this land. So when you come into the land that I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask you to be generous. In fact, I'm going to command you to be generous. I'm going to expect, I'm going to insist upon it. I'm going to require that you would be generous and willing to share with the people who are less fortunate than you. And God said, here's why. Because if you're generous and you open up and freely give, if you would simply be compassionate instead of judgmental, instead of seeing situations where people are in need and thinking to yourself, why don't you go get a job? God said, if you would just show people a little mercy and from time to time meet financial needs, I am going to bless you in everything you do. Can it get any clearer than that, what God wants to do with us? How much of our lives does he want to bless? Everything. God said, I want to bless you in everything that you do. So if you're willing, when you see a need, to occasionally respond with, a, with an open heart, with a giving heart, I am going to see it and I'm going to bless you. And so this tells me that generosity has a lot more to do than just with our finances. And when God is standing at his door or at his window, ready to throw out blessings and favor and provision, how many of us can miss out on that? How many of us can afford to miss it? I sure can't. I need the Lord's blessing on everything I do. I need it on my health. I need it on my ministry. I need it on my relationships. I need it on my investments. God, do I need it on my investments. We need his blessings. The list goes on and on. And the Lord specifically said in the Old Testament and in the New, if you would be willing to share what you have, then I'm going to give back to you. And I'm going to give back to you above and beyond you could, what you could ever imagine. And so here in Deuteronomy chapter, five, uh, chapter 15, he says, I'm going to bless you in everything that you do. In Proverbs 19, 17, he says, when you are generous to the poor, when you give to the poor, it's like you're lending it to me. And when you lend me something, I'm going to pay you back, guaranteed. And, and you're going to be happy with what I give back to you, basically. And then in Luke 6, 38, in the New Testament, Jesus says the same thing. Given it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Jesus said there is a unique and uncommon blessing that comes to you when you're willing to share. When you're willing to acknowledge that somebody might be in a worse situation than you are, and you're going to show some generosity. And so, in the time remaining this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you three benefits of generosity. And this is not an exhaustive list. There are many more than just three. However, for the purpose of this message, let's focus in on these three. Three benefits of generosity. Number one, the hurting are helped. Number two, givers are energized. And number three, God is glorified. One more time. The hurting are helped, givers are energized, and God is glorified. First one, the hurting are helped. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 6, the Bible says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. 
Don't just acknowledge other people's burdens. Don't just comment on them or tell somebody else about them. Carry them. Carry one another's burdens. And when you do that, you fulfill the law of Christ. Anybody remember what the law of Christ is? It's love. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus preached that message, and it's recorded in the other Gospels as well, but in Luke chapter 10, after Jesus preached the law of Christ, there was a religious leader who challenged him with a question, and he asked him, okay, just who is my neighbor? If Jesus, Jesus said, you're to love your neighbor as yourself, so the, the religious leader said, okay, if that's the case, fine, but who is my neighbor? Do you remember what followed after that? The most popular of most of all the parables that Jesus preached. The parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that parable, a hurting man, a man who had fell among thieves, someone who was in a lot of pain, he was helped because someone passing by chose to be a little bit compassionate and generous toward him. See, when we're willing to meet needs, hurting people are comforted. They find relief. You help situations when you're willing to give. James chapter 2 verses 15 and 16 says this, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good or what value is there in words or encouragement or in the law of Christ if we're in a position to help somebody, but we ignore the need? James also said in 127, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress when they're hurting, when they're having a hard go of things. The message says, reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight when they're in trouble, when they're in dire straits. Look for situations where you can help because it will greatly benefit those who are in need. So the first benefit of generosity is the hurting are helped. Number two, givers are, gener are energized. Givers are energized. And I didn't say the needy are energized. I said the givers, those expressing the generosity, those who are willing to share. They're inspired. They're fulfilled. They're enhanced in their faith because they know that God has put them in a position to make a difference in somebody else's life. So not only are the people in need helped, but then the believer or the person who's giving, they're energized as well. Now, a few weeks ago, I stumbled onto a message that I preached here at our church back in 2014. It was during our Freedom Project campaign. Some of you will remember that. With the Freedom Project campaign, we were trying to raise a million dollars. Can you believe that? Nine years ago, we went after a million dollars cash. And guess what? We did it. We raised the money. 
And at that time, what we were hoping to do was lower our debt a little bit so that we could be in a better position to reach out to the needy people in our world. And as I was going through this message and looking at my notes, I was somewhat shocked because of how bold I was. I mean, how else do you raise a million dollars? You got to be bold. And I challenged everyone to be generous. And during that campaign, uh, one of the brothers who, attends, uh, who attended Community Christian Church had been around a long time. He made an appointment with me, and he wanted me to meet him right here at this altar for prayer. So we came together, we met for prayer, and during the prayer time, he laid out four or five bank statements here on the stage. Those bank statements, all savings accounts, represented all the money he had in the whole wide world. Everything he had saved, every dime. He added them all up, and then he proceeded to write the church a check for the full amount to give to the Freedom Project. It was somewhere between ninety dollars and $100,000. Just wrote it out and gave it. A couple of years later, he told me that that act of obedience was the single greatest financial decision he had ever made in his life. And not because of the tremendous financial blessing that followed. And make no mistake, God was faithful to his word. He opened up life-changing, heavenly windows for this brother. But that wasn't what he was talking about with that testimony. He told me that when he wrote out that check in the, in the weeks after that, something happened on the inside of him. Something broke. He was able to overcome all of his fear, his worry and anxiety about money and business. And his faith was energized. It was enhanced because he knew that God had used him to make a significant difference, not only here at our church, but around the world. And now here we are nine years later, writing out good, sizable checks to many organizations. And every one of those checks we write out, every mission check, every outreach check, is associated with the gift of obedience that he gave nine years ago. When we are obedient to the word of God, when we follow God's prompting and we respond with generosity, we get energized. It does something to our faith in the areas of our life that we're struggling with. God says, I'm going to bless you and everything. We overcome fear. We overcome anxiety. And we just walk in the freedom that God provides for us. So when we practice generosity, the hurting are helped. We get energized and inspired. And finally, God is glorified. And, Lord, and there is no telling what the Lord, our God, is prepared to do when our number one top priority is to point people to God and in the process bring glory and honor to his name. Amen. Not our name, not the church's name, but to legitimately want God to be glorified. And friend, that's our heart's desire. Revivals are sparked when that becomes our one desire when it becomes our one thing. We were talking about that in January, you remember. Like David, it was his one thing to glorify God, to, to behold God in his house, to inquire the Lord. 
I don't know if you sense it, but something pretty special, something spiritual is building here in our church. You, I've been able to feel it since the first of the year. It just seems like every time we come together, the Lord wants to do something unique among us. We're hearing testimonies of people getting saved and people getting encouraged and set free. It starts when our desire is for God to be glorified in all that we do, that we would point people to God, not the Community Christian Church, not to what we have to offer, but to what God has to offer. Amen. Now, last week I mentioned that Pastor Teresa and I, we love to go to Florida during the month of March. We've been doing this for years and years. And whenever we go to South Florida on the east side to Fort Lauderdale, we like to stay in the same Marriott hotels right there on A1A, right off the ocean. Uh, we have a Marriott's reward card, and you know the drill. You use the card, you, you, you acquire points, you redeem them for hotel rooms. That's really the only way that we could ever afford to stay at a Marriott. We use our Marriott rewards card. But at this particular hotel, there's... There's this gal, we've seen her the last four or five years. She uh, uh, works in the housekeeping department. And one of her jobs is to mop the hotel lobby floor. She does that every morning. And it's not an easy assignment. You have people running around, there's always guests, children making messes. She just finishes up one part of the floor and you know, she's got to redo it and clean it up. So it's really not an easy job. It's hard, and it takes a lot of effort. And so we decided one morning that we were going to try and encourage her and just show our appreciation by giving her what I'll call a sizable tip, just, just to let her know that how thankful we are. And you've heard me mention this before. Included in our vacation budget is a little bit of money to distribute to people in the service departments, in housekeeping, in maintenance, those who uh, you know, have to do the, the busing and all that kind of stuff. So you know, every now and then we just pray and we ask the Lord to kind of lead us and prompt us as to who, who, who needs a little, little encouragement. So one morning we saw the gal, she was mopping up, we took her aside. And we said to her, you know what, we've been coming to this hotel for a number of years. We've seen you diligently working here. You're always uh, working with a smile. You, you, every time we walk through the, the lobby, the, the floor is sparkling clean. We just want you to know how much we appreciate that. How thankful we are for the, the job that you do and, and, and the value that you are to, to the hotel. And then we gave her the money, $50. She took the money... And she responded with, how did you know? How did you know I needed this money so badly? That after today, I didn't have any bus fare to be able to get to work, and I need this job. How did you know? God must have showed you. God must have revealed it to you. And then she started yelling, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And she wasn't quiet. She didn't care who heard because she was in a position to let everyone know how God came through for her, how God came through. Now, $50 is $50. 
But that, that money didn't change our lives. Give, giving that money didn't change anything for us. In fact, in that hotel, you pay 50 bucks for orange juice and a bagel. <laughs> Wasn't a big sacrifice for us. But it changed her life at that moment. And it glorified God. And I'll bet she told 100 people what happened. See, when, when we respond to generosity, understanding that God is the one who gives us everything anyway, he's glorified, and it makes a big difference for people. One final passage, and we'll be done for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. For God, for who? God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, and God's the one who provides bread to eat. In the same way, God will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. See, generosity comes from God. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And then Paul said, when we take your gifts, your generosity, to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things, two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. Do you see that? Because of your generosity, it will lead people to God. People will glorify God. It's not about us getting a pat on the back. This is a way to express the goodness of God so that people will offer him praise and adoration. Verse 13, for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. It will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. That's what generosity is. It's a matchless, wonderful, beautiful gift. A marvelous gift that we can't even comprehend or put into words. And the scripture says that God creates this harvest of generosity in all of us. Not some, not just the people that have a lot of money, but God does this for each and every one of us. Okay, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we are so thankful for all that you have given to us. Truly, we acknowledge, Lord, that every good thing we have comes from you. We thank you, Lord God, for the privilege of living in this kind of a country where we have so many wonderful benefits and provisions available to us. We get to work, we get to be educated, we can use the gifts that you've given to us to make money and provide resources. And Lord, you've blessed us with so much. And then you just ask us, actually you command us, 
to consider those who are in need and to be generous toward them. Because when we do that, the needy people are helped, the hurting find comfort and relief, that us as believers are energized and inspired. In the bottom line, you get the glory. All the credit goes to you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would continue to impress upon us the absolute desire to be one in heart and mind as you lead us to the place, Lord, where we can worship you, where we can grow in our faith, where we can reflect your love and acceptance to a hurting world, where, Lord, we can have fellowship and prayer and so many other good things. We pray, Father, that you would put within us a deep desire to be a blessing. Use these closing moments, Lord God, to speak to us as only you can. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand.